Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It was a vicious cycle, looking for ways to end my life, thinking about my mom and stopping myself. So at this point, I weighed 250 pounds, 34% body fat. I worked at a 9-5 job that I hated, and I had no goals in my life. And I needed to make a change, and that change was not going to be suicide. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore, alongside you, every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast, is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Welcome to the Mark Rose Podcast. Today, I have Ben Azadi. Welcome, Mark, I am honored to be on your show today. Thanks for having me. Well, I was pumped to be on yours, and I was waiting for this day to get to pick your brain about the work you do and why you do your work. And I also need help swimming through the many pieces of information about nutrition, diet, and all the things. So maybe we could start with what brought you into your work, because your platform is huge, you know, and people follow you for all this information. So I'm, I'm sure that when you started, you weren't like, hey, one day I'm going to turn this into this thing. And uh, so, yeah, how did it begin? Like many of us in this space, in the health space, or just in doing what we're called to do, came from a pain, right? And the same thing for me. I was going through a lot of pain growing up here in America, followed a standard American diet. My mom worked three jobs. I was left to my own devices growing up. And I hung out with the wrong crowd. I mean, I went to high school in South Beach. Think about that. In South <laughs> Beach, isn't that where people do like spring break? That's exactly where they do spring break. That's where I went to school. That's where I, I lived, right? Damn. Miami Beach. But I would skip school, do drugs, sold drugs. I was physically obese growing up, mentally obese growing up, uh, lost and broken, broken, right? I was just tiptoeing my way through life, hoping to land safely on death's door. That's what I was doing, going through the motions. And at the age of 23 years old, I experienced rock bottom, my version of rock bottom, where my girlfriend, we were together for almost four years, and she ended up leaving me because the relationship was going nowhere. All I wanted to do was play video games and just eat food, and I had no ambition, no goals, and I wasn't treating her right. So rightfully so, she left me. I didn't know how to handle it. I was devastated. Um, I was crying every single day. I had to call my friends over to my house because I kept thinking about ending my life. I was thinking about suicide. And I would go on the internet, Mark, and look for ways to end my life. What, what, what's the quickest way to end your life without pain? I was finding, doing research on that. 
And every time I explored suicide, the first thought that came to my mind would be, what would your mom have to deal with if you took your life? And then I would go through that vision of her crying and be devastated. And I loved my mom. I love my mom. She did so much for me. I I didn't want to do that to her. But I also knew that I I didn't want to be in pain and and suffer and cry every single day. So it was a vicious cycle for years, not years, months, looking for ways to end my life, thinking about my mom and stopping myself. So at this point, I weighed 250 pounds, 34% body fat. I worked at a 9-5 job that I hated and I had no goals in my life. And I needed to make a change and that change was not going to be suicide. That was my decision. So a friend of mine handed me a book and they said, two of them, they said, read this book. I think it'll help you. And I read the book uh, and I never read books in my life, just school, but never opted to read a book. And that book called to me and I read that one book which led to a second book and a fifth book and a 10th book. And I discovered amazing authors like uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer and, and Bob Proctor and Jim Rohn oh, and Tony yeah. Robbins, who we were just speaking about, people that you've studied. And it just opened up a whole new world to me. It, it helped me see things from a different lens. But the most important thing that the books did for me was help me take ownership and responsibility for the first time ever. And that word responsibility is so important. And it's our ability to respond to life. My, my ability to respond to life up until that point was poor. I was the victim. I was blaming my genetics, my enabling family members, my slow metabolism. But once you take ownership and responsibility, that goes out the window. You become the victor of your destiny and stop being the victim of your history. And that's exactly what happened with me. I started to move my body. I started to eat better. And I went through this incredible transformation where I lost 80 pounds in nine months, went from 34% body fat to 6% body fat in nine months. And I finally, yeah, a big jump. And I finally achieved this physical six pack, but most important than that, a mental six pack. And I I started to think better thoughts and understand how important those thoughts are. All all the things you teach, Mark. And that's what got me started uh, 14 years ago. I've been curious ever since, a student ever since, but that was the the starting point for me it was pain to purpose to now what I consider a promise uh, to educate as many people as possible. What was the, like in the recognition of the moving from victim mentality to responsibility, how did you handle the dissonance of recognizing? Because I, I think one of the challenges in doing that is recognizing choice, but then we look back upon our lives and see all the times we didn't use choice. So I'm curious how you reconciled that or how you used that dissonance. Well, I was looking at the results I was getting (laughs) and the results were not good. (laughs) You're like, the proof's in the pudding. Yeah, the proof's in the pudding, right? If I keep blaming other people for my problem, it's going to continue getting me these poor results. But there was one moment where I was studying Dr. Wayne Dyer and he said something. It was an audio I was listening to. He said, if you keep blaming other people, he said, if other people are the cause of your problem, you would have to hire a psychiatrist for the rest of the world in order for you to get better. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's funny. Isn't it funny? And it's so true. I'm like, damn, that is that is true. And it just You're like, can me. we do that though? Can we get everybody <laughs> right, a psychiatrist yeah. so I don't have to change? How much would that cost, right? I get one for my mom, for my sister, for <laughs> now. So it made, <laughs> right. it made so much sense. And that's, you know, just the proof was in the pudding, like you said. I knew I was not getting the results I wanted and I knew I had to make a change and it started with just like small little tweaks and momentum that ended up uh, gaining traction and compounding over time. As you say that, it made me think like, I wonder if the pain of the results we're getting in our lives are actually enough that we can hold the pain of the recognition of the choices we're making. Like in order to even be open to reading the book, you have to have accepted a circumstance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was desperate. (laughs) To me at that time, I only had two options, either end my life or figure it out. Right. So I knew I made the decision that I was not going to end my life because my mom. So that left me with just one option, figure it out. So I was so desperate and determined to figure out that that's the point where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll read this book. And I had the book for weeks before I actually ended up reading it. But once I did, the, the rest is history. What was the first book? It was The Slight Edge by uh, uh, Jeff Olson. And it wasn't that that was the book, that like the only book and the best book in the world. It is a great book, but it taught me about small decisions that we make every day that compound over time, good or bad. And if you could just make small little changes every day, you could look back a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, and that will compound to the results you get in life. So it really taught me about just be small little behavior changes. What was the first behavior that you changed? 
it was to move my body. I was not exercising and I just decided to do the things that I enjoyed doing, which was playing basketball. So no, oh, right on. Yeah. Moving my body in a way that I'm doing activities that I enjoyed and basketball is one of them. Do you play basketball, Mark? I do. And I was just saying to a friend yesterday that I just like, I went for a trail run on Sunday and I just thought to myself like, yeah, it was fun trail running, but I would way rather chase a ball. I would way rather be in a sport, you know, where competitive edge like the desire for competition makes me run harder and faster and all the things. But yeah, I, I'll play basketball due to my um, height restriction. I'm only five, seven and a half, five, eight mm. after yoga. So, you know, I was limited <laughs> in my basketball evolution, uh, but I do love it. I have the height advantage. I'm six foot two and a half. So I would definitely, oh, yeah. you know, swat your shots, Mark, and block you from here. And there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> why I'm like, let's play soccer or something. Then there's not a height relation. So you started to move your body. I would imagine most people find your work from the desire to understand diet, right? The desire to understand how do we move through the complexity of the messaging that we receive? So where did you start in terms, because you lost 80 pounds in nine months. Yeah. And so that's a dramatic weight loss. And did it start, like, did you front end load that loss? Like, did you lose a loss? I don't know if that's the right term. And it's definitely not a medical term. But did you lose a bunch at the start? And then sort of, like, did it slow down? Or was it progressive? I'm just curious. I lost a lot in the beginning. And that's typical, especially for men. But it's interesting, because what I did during those nine months and how I lost the weight is actually not how I would teach it now. I don't think it's the healthiest way. It's very extreme, you know, excessive exercise, calorie counting, and although it was a great starting point for me, I lost the weight and I was still thinking, all right, I'm physically fit, but I still feel like a fit, sick person. I still had digestive issues and I, I didn't feel optimally healthy. So for years, I wanted to explore what is real health feel like at, at a cellular level. And that's where I explored different diets like the vegan diet. And, and then eventually I got to keto and intermittent fasting. So it was a exploratory for me and a, and a lesson learned. But you know, it was a starting point, which I'm grateful for, but it's not the, what I would teach to this day. So where would be the starting point that you would teach for someone who's in this, like, I want to change? Because, you know, we might come to it relationally. We might come to it rock bottom. We might come to it from addiction. We might come to it from my phone is depleting me, right? Like that happens to people. So I'm curious, whenever we hit this stuck point, I would imagine that nourishment on a whole level, a holistic level, but nourishment from a food is like one of the fast, one of the fastest ways to change how you feel like changing a belief relationally, like boundaries, things like that, that actually usually takes a bit of time to feel the transformation. But food is like, and moving your body is immediate feedback. You know, it's a, you could all of a sudden are like, oh, I can, I can. And your body, after you do a walk even, is like, ooh, I like walking. And you're like, I think I do, but I also like donuts. So yeah, what do you think about? Take what I just said and make it make sense. <laughs> I agree, your food determines your mood and you could, you could change your mood with your food in an instant, right? So, I mean, the first, the first thing would be, are you eating real food? Are you eating whole food? Not whole foods market, but whole food. Uh, foods that don't require a whole label of ingredients, right? That could be the first step. If you think about buying an avocado or buying meat or buying a banana, there's no label on it because it's just what you see, just right? So is. just is. Yeah, it just is what you see in front of you versus uh, packaged cereal and oatmeal and all these different items that have a list of ingredients that you can't even pronounce. So that would be the first step. Just eat real food, Depending on where you are at with your activity level, you, you start with walking each day and then you move to jogging and then move to running. But you start with where you're at. Every, every great coach, you know this, Mark, works with a patient or a customer or a client and they meet them where they're at. So depending on where you're at. But your food does determine your mood. And I would start with eating whole food. I, I would say this because I've been in this space now for 14 years. There's a set of, we'll call them foods, but I'm putting that in quotation marks, that are highly inflammatory. I would argue they're more inflammatory than even sugar. I'm going to give your audience a list of eight of them. So if you were starting on this health journey and nutrition journey, these are eight foods. You want to do an audit in your kitchen pantry. Make sure you're eliminating them. You're not giving them to your children. And before I give that list, I want to just dial in this even further. I, I uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan, who is a medical doctor. She wrote a fantastic book called Deep Nutrition. It's like a classic in health and nutrition. She was also the nutritionist for Kobe Bryant 
in the Los Angeles Lakers when Kobe Bryant used to play. He was pretty she good. She taught Kobe Bryant about bone broth. She got Dwight Howard off of sugar addiction. She's brilliant. She's a friend of mine. Just a few weeks ago, Mark, I asked her this question. And I said, hey, Dr. Kate, three scenarios. Which scenario will cause disease faster? Scenario number one, you smoked cigarettes every day. Scenario number two, you ate processed sugar every single day. And scenario number three, you ate vegetable oils every single day. Oh, that's good. That's a good question, right? She said, that's easy. It's the vegetable oils. She said, the reason is really? because- Yeah. She said, if you smoke cigarettes, after you're done with the last puff, the damage is done. If you ate processed sugar, it's not good for you, but you could exercise, you could, you could burn off that excess sugar. She said, these vegetable oils, also called seed oils, they cause inflammation in your body and they stick around. They get stuck in your fat cells for two to five years. Whoa, wait, what? Two to five years. So if all of us stop vegetable oils today, which isn't impossible, all of a sudden we have, we have like two years of uh, toxin removal, I guess. Yeah. How do they stay in your cells? So when these, they're, they're kind of toxins. They, they are toxins. Um, think of them as toxins. So when they get into your body, they embed into your cell membrane. The cell membrane is made up of fat, 80% fat. And these toxins love fat. So they embed into the membranes, into the receptor sites, and then around the mitochondria membrane too. And they get stuck there. And they just create inflammation. They kind of pound the mitochondria. They gunk up your cells, for lack of a better scientific word. So that's what she uh, determines. And a lot of people determine in the space that the half-life of these fats is two years. So to your point, Mark, if the you were to remove life, wow. the half-life, if you were to remove them today, two years later, half of them will still remain in your body fat. That's why she believes, wow. and I agree with her, they're worse than, than sugar and cigarettes. So let me give your audience the list of them because they're wondering, okay, what are these specific oils? Like, Don't forget about the eight things, fuck, <laughs> and the list. Okay. She, she calls them the hateful eight. And I'm going to give your audience a list to write these down. There's three C's, three S's, and two others. So the three C's are canola oil, corn oil, and cottonseed oil. Hmm. The three S's are soybean oil, safflower oil, and sunflower oil. And then two others are rice bran oil and grapeseed oil. Those are the ones we want to avoid. So the next question, your audience is wondering, okay, what do I swap them for? <laughs> the healthier options would be coconut oil, grass-fed butter, grass-fed ghee, duck fat, beef tallow, olive oil, avocado oil. Those are much healthier swaps. And here's the thing. When you go to a restaurant, even if it's a fancy restaurant, you got to ask the waiter, the wa- at least I asked the waiter and waitress, what do you cook your food in? 99% of the time, it's one of those bad fats. So what I tell them, I'm allergic. My fiance is allergic. Everybody at this table is allergic to these seed oils. Can you use butter or olive oil? And most of the time, they're going to have that. But I tell them I'm allergic, so they pay attention versus it's a preference. That's a great idea. Because I one of my fears, because you know you go to a restaurant with the person who has 87 alterations, and you're like, ah, oh, damn, I don't want them to piss in my food. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want them to take a shit in my food because I'm more allergic to poop than I am canola oil. <laughs> Maybe that's actually not even true in terms of the inflammatory <laughs> process. It's probably worse, uh, canola oil. But I, it, that's what's interesting is because of the cost of it, it is used at all these restaurants. I mean, I was the other day shopping at Whole Foods and I was grabbing cashews and I was looking at the ingredients because often, even at Whole Foods, most of the products there, almost all of them had sunflower oil. They were roasted with sunflower oil and salt. And I'm like, why? Why? It's like when they add sugar to mango. Like you yeah. don't need to add sugar to mango. It sh- mango is sugar. That idea of saying you're allergic is brilliant because like, what are you going to do? They're not going to hate on you because you're allergic. Exactly. The other side of it too is our fear to have our needs met is usually because of the emotional response of the server or the restaurant, which is codependent. So, you know, it's the fear of someone else's emotional response. So we're not prioritizing our own health, which is what we do with addictions, which is what we don't take up too much space. God forbid. But that's brilliant. I've never thought of that. Okay. I'm allergic to seed oils now. You are. We technically are. I'm not lying. Right. But that's true. What you just said is another benefit to making that request because it removes the codependence and, and, you know, the the thoughts and, oh my, what are they going to think? What are the people on the table? And that's what makes it difficult for a lot of people because, I got to tell you this, Mark, there's a lot of people in the health space who teach avoiding seed oils and I have dinner with them and they do not make this request. And it makes me wonder why. 
uh, are they afraid to have the conversation or they don't, they don't really believe in it or they're just, they, they feel like they're doing so many other things right. This is okay to take that hit. But I make the request. And in the beginning, I felt uncomfortable doing it, especially with a large group. I don't feel that at all anymore. I removed that codependency because it, it's so important. It's You're prioritizing your health and you're doing the table a favor too. Because I, I don't do, just do it for myself. I say the whole table is allergic. <laughs> so we're I, I want to make it allergic. E- we're all allergic. So I want to make it easy for people because that's what I've seen as the biggest challenge, the ability for people to communicate that. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to work on... I'm going to create a printout that you go to a website, you you put in your email, and then you get a PDF download where you print this thing out and it shows the the oils you're allergic to. And then you can just hand it to the waiter to make it easy for people. Do you think that's a good idea, Mark? I think that's brilliant. And then it looks so official too. Exactly. Like, I actually have a printout of all my severe food allergies. These are real. It's printed. I mean, it's got to be real. <laughs> it's printed. It's got to be real. Okay. So after you get into the seed oils, because you then had the sort of trifecta problem, Smoking, I think we can all agree quitting smoking is the solution, but I'm curious about the sugar thing. And is that like in your journey, is that now how you would teach it is the removal of seed? Because your journey, I know you said is different than what you would teach now. Correct. So would you remove seed oils first and then sugar or like how would you go? Because I think that's the part is we just don't have these step-by-step processes. You know, it gets too complex. It's like, it am I keto? Am I carnivore? Am I fucking vegan? Am I, you know, all Hell yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Step number one, remove the seed oils. If you do nothing else with your health, but remove the seed oils, you will get a beneficial result. So that is step number one, no matter what diet you do. Step number two would be, okay, let's lower your glucose and insulin spikes. And I'm going to explain what that means. But before I do, There was a study that came out, Mark, in 2018 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. It was a 10-year study looking at over 8,000 people. Their goal with that study when they started it was to determine how healthy or how unhealthy is the American adult population. So they looked at these 8,000 people plus people. They looked at A1C, which is your three-month average of glucose, blood pressure, uh, on medication, off medication, how many medications. So different metrics to assess health or lack thereof health. And they concluded at the end of the study that 88% of American adults are unhealthy, metabolically unhealthy. And that was before COVID. I would presume that it probably got a lot worse, right? So those people, 88% plus, probably 90% plus, they're having glucose and insulin hits, glucose and insulin hits because they're eating a high-carbohydrate processed diet with seed oil. So number one, remove the seed oils. Number two, lower your carbohydrate intake. It doesn't have to be keto, but lower your glucose and insulin hits because the more you spike glucose and insulin from carbohydrates, the faster you're going to age because the human body, the optimal state for glucose in the human body is one teaspoon in the entire body, which is 80 milligrams per deciliters. Meaning if you tested your fasting glucose, 80 milligrams per deciliters would be considered an optimal state, which is one teaspoon. The average person is eating 300 to 400 grams of carbs per day, and they're having an average glucose of 120, 140, 200, 250, leading to insulin resistance, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, et cetera. So that's why that would be the number two step. Lower your uh, glucose and insulin levels by lowering your carbs and increasing protein and fat. Yeah, I would imagine 88% is probably teetering at 90 and or the 88% are even more unhealthy. You know, because I know in some studies looking at child weight gain over COVID, it was actually, you know, quite significant. And just knowing the impact of weight on the immune system, knowing that the number one risk factor for COVID was age, and then second was uh, body weight. And also our resistance to even talking about those things. You know, I think we often say, well, that's fat shaming or, and while I can understand that people's feelings get disrupted by the conversation about weight. We can't avoid the conversation because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. Like as someone who sort of struggled looking at my weight throughout my life, being younger and being overweight and feeling the impact that that had on me socially and emotionally, it really made me prioritize fitness. I'd say originally for the wrong reasons, which, you know, as the avoidance of being big or staying big, because of how it impacted my sense of belonging as a kid and as a teenager. But, you know, I think like anything, we turn towards transformation, usually from a place of pain, from a place of avoiding pain, resolving pain. 
I think there needs to be a healthy transfer to where we move from avoiding pain to creating expansion, you know, to like creating possibility to stepping into our potential. And I think that's an interesting switch because it's not often one that we discuss, you know, it's not often like the conscious switch from I'm trying to fix what is broken versus make better what is already great, you know? which is true relationally and I think true from a body perspective. But yeah, that's that percentage of unhealthy adult, I think is just so true for so much of North America, like Canada too. It's when you look at the regions, I think along the coastlines, right, that you see generally lower BMIs, healthier. And that's probably due to lifestyle as well as seasonality, sun, all the, I'm sure there's many confounding factors. So when you move from move your body, change what you eat, what is the optimal amount of carbohydrate? Because you said the average American, I think you said, is 300 to something to grams a day. Yeah. yeah, and I think for ketosis, you have to strive to get below 30. Is that right? Under 50 for most people, but some under 30. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be uh, different for everybody, but in general, under 50. Recently, I had Shervin on the podcast, who's the founder of the supplement company, Symbiotica. And I discovered Shervin far before I discovered the supplement company. And I just fell in love with how he lives his life with such integrity and intention. And it made me dive deeper into his products. I kept seeing the brand pop up everywhere. And now daily I take the vitamin C, I take the D3K2, I take the magnesium, and I also take the creatine. But they have a whole lineup of products. The reason I love the company is they design sophisticated, organic, nutritional formulations that are scientifically proven to increase vitality and longevity, and they really fill the nutritional gaps that most of us have from our typical modern day diet. Their supplements are sourced from only the highest quality plant-based ingredients, and they utilize the most advanced absorption technology, which is really important to me. So if you currently take supplements or you're looking to find a company that makes great ones and sourcing from a company that has great integrity and uses organic products and the highest quality products, then Symbiotica, you got to give them a try. So if you go to symbiotica.com and you use the code Groves at checkout, you get 15% off. So you just put in my last name, G-R-O-V-E-S, you get 15% off anything. I mean, they have so many different supplements. I'm sure there's the right fit for you. And you can get up to 45% off when you bundle a few products. So try out a few of them and see which ones you like. So again, go to symbiotica.com, use the code Groves at checkout, and you'll save some money. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so now I'm removing seed oils. I'm looking at my carbohydrate intake, my sugar intake. What is the next step that's really going to benefit my body? And and because what I like, I like what we're doing here, which is we're walking through very manageable, like simple steps to transform our lives. And it's going to have an emotional change. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all of that is intertwined. So the next step would be to have um, an eating window. And then a window where you don't eat, right? So we'll call it instead of calling it intermittent fasting, we'll call it intermittent feasting. I or like feeding. That. Yeah, just it's better just for people's minds. Just get a trough, just eat, <laughs> feast, feast, and then we'll play some basketball and burn it off. There we go. I like it. You'll dunk on my ass. All right, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm really good at <laughs> basketball. <laughs> so um, there, my colleague, uh, a chiropractor, Dr. Don Clum, he did a, a patient population survey hundreds of patients and he told them to write down every time they ate something throughout the day. And that would be, you know, either almonds or cashews or Oreos, but anytime they had or a full meal, write it down. And he determined in that study that the average American or the average person in his survey was eating 17 to 23 times per day, which is insane to be in this constant. That's a lot. Fed state. Yeah, it's insane, right? And the definition of that, of eating, means anytime you raise glucose and insulin and start your digestive process. So it could be a snack or a meal, but people are grazing throughout the day. So that's why you know, it makes sense when you think about it that way. So that would be the third step would be, okay, now that you've got rid of the seed oils, now that you've lowered your carbohydrates and increased healthy fats and protein, 
Now let's have a certain window where you have your meals and then a window where you're allowing your body to recycle cells and tap into your fat, maybe produce ketones if that's what you want to do. And the optimal, according to the research, the optimal eating window for most people would be 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., right? And you could have one meal, two meals, three meals in that window. And then you would fast from 2 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next day. That would be an optimal um, window for you. That's the opposite of what we would have, I guess, was sort of common discussion about intermittent fasting was to fast after dinner and then miss breakfast. So in the data, you're saying that it actually shows a better mechanism. Is that due to insulin spikes after dinner and that kind of thing? It's due to a lot. Like if, if we would have had this conversation two years ago, I would have said exactly what you just said. Skip breakfast, have lunch and dinner. And you know, for me, that actually works better. And for a lot of people's schedule, that works better. And then a lot of research, and I've interviewed a lot of these individuals, has come out that shows early time restricted feeding, meaning eating earlier in the day is more beneficial. One study in particular from um, Dr. Courtney Peterson, who's a professor from Alabama, Birmingham, she took two patients, not two patients, two groups of patients, and she did this study really well. She monitored them in a lab. She looked at um, a protein called LC3A, which is looking at autophagy. It's actually measuring autophagy, which I can't do at home, but she did in her lab. Autophagy is cell death? Cell repair. Cell, cell um, repair. Regeneration, right. cell repair. It's when your body cleans out junk in your cells. Uh, apoptosis is cell death. It's the next step. Which is one of my favorite words. It's what, so apoptosis? Okay. Yeah, it's just so good. It just <laughs> like apoptosis, a, baby. It's fun. Right, it has a flair to it. <laughs> so she looked at, she took two different groups. One group, uh, well, she measured autophagy. She measured another um, marker called sirtuin, so SIRT1, which is uh, called the longevity gene. And the longer that is, the more protective it is to your telomeres, which protects your DNA. So we want longer, longer cert ones. And she looked at other metrics like insulin and glucose and all that. But she took one group and she uh, had that group eat between 8 a.m. and 2 p.m., which is the window I just told you to, to, to do. And then the other group, they ate from 2 p.m. to, I believe, 8 p.m. or 7 p.m. But they had dinner and lunch and skipped breakfast, the second group. And after four days, the group that had an earlier meal had 22% more autophagy and 10% more of that sirtuin-1 gene Wow! after four days, right? That's just one study. There's a lot of studies out there, Dr. Sachin Panda, showing the benefits of eating your, your meals earlier in the day. It has to do with a lot of things. Insulin is one of them. You're, you're less insulin sensitive at night, meaning if you have a bunch of carbs at night or a big meal at night, it's going to cause a higher glucose response. And it's going to interfere with your sleep. So just a good rule of thumb for your audience is give yourself at least three hours of fasting before bed and five hours would be even better for you. Wow. Okay. Well, that's flipping in my brain, that timing. And leading into this part, you were saying that we reduce the seed oils, we reduce carbohydrates, and we increase proteins and fats. So what would specifically maybe be, what would it look like to increase proteins and fats? I would focus on protein. Um, I personally would focus on animal-based protein, but I respect those who are vegans or vegetarians. So you could just make that a vegan vegetarian source, but protein. So you want to get your protein requirement, which is one gram, at least this is what I teach, one gram of protein per pound of your ideal body weight. So let's say uh, we have a listener who's listening right now and she weighs 170 pounds, but her goal is to get to 130 pounds. So she would consume 130 grams of protein each day. Just by doing that naturally, she's going to feel more full and satiated. She's going to eat less carbs. Less, she's going to eat less often. And then just eat the fat that naturally occurs with the protein source. So I, I would focus more so on the protein. And once you do that, you're going to notice tremendous benefits. I've definitely noticed in changing, like before I was intermittent fasting in the morning. And so my feast time, I guess, was starting at around 11 or 12. And I would often first have something like cashews or, you know, which is more fat. But I started to switch to Greek yogurt with just a couple of fruits on top. And man, did I ever notice a difference just in terms of adding that more amount of protein to my morning and then eating like an Epic bar or something like that, those yeah. meat bars, uh, or Thrive Thrive Provisions is the other company that's based out of Canada. But yeah, I try those and eat those and I just feel so different. It was amazing what it did because I was eating fat 
not thinking like, and then I remember talking to Sean Stevenson and he was like, protein, 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 protein. Yeah, he's right. I felt like that, that ad protein. That's what it felt like. Um, and I was really just like, wow, I've been under eating protein. I remember when I was in college weightlifting, protein was all the thing as well as creatine, but like protein was the whole, it was like the whole focus. And I don't know at what point I just sort of lost. I think when fat became such a conversation from Dave Asprey and Bulletproof and all that kind of stuff. So if you've added protein in, is it's sort of the, because when I look at how I feel best, I'm curious your thoughts on this, is I usually feel best with low carbohydrates and fairly high protein and a moderate amount of fat. And if I stay in that zone, as much as I love a good carbohydrate, which I do, like I just feel so good in that zone. And is there a reason for that? Because that is true for me. And I know that like if I just cut bread out, which I don't eat bread very often anymore, I feel so much better. Why? Why is this true? Because I love bread, but I recognize <laughs> the feeling I have. I love that you have that awareness, Mark. There's, there's a few reasons why. Because when you eliminate bread or reduce your bread intake, you're going to lower inflammation around your cell membrane. And every cell has this membrane. It's a lipid bilayer. There's some something called integral membrane proteins, which are these receptor sites that are integrated into every cell. You've interviewed Dr. Bruce Lipton. He explains this so masterfully. But these receptor sites are, are kind of like cell phone antennas. They're receiving communication from your hormones, your thoughts, by the way, nutrients, oxygen, and other things. So if you have too much inflammation around the membrane, those receptor sites become blunted, and then the messages are not heard. Your hormones can't get in as efficiently nutrients, supplements, oxygen, and then you just don't feel as good. But when you lower inflammation by getting rid of bread, removing the interference, then the communication, the signal is now being heard. Oh, okay, you want me to produce energy? Oh, the thyroid gland is telling me the T3 is being sent here. And you have this amazing orchestra that's able to do its job. So that's one of the reasons. But the other reason, Mark, when you focus on protein, protein is very satiating. If you think about last time, let's say you went to a restaurant and you ate like a 20 ounce ribeye, you just said, I'm going to eat that 20 ounce and you freaking ate the whole thing. So good. So good, right? You're stuffed and you're like, there's no way I could eat anything else. They even offer you another free 20 ounce ribeye because you're they're so <laughs> impressed. And you're like, no way, I cannot eat that. But what happens if they bring a dessert cart? You're like, oh, sure, I'll have some dessert because you, there's a completely different process between what protein does and carbs and sugar. Protein activates hormones like um, leptin, cholecystokinin, peptide YY. These are just hormones and signals that tell your brain and stomach you're full. Put down the fork. Carbs and sugar do not do that. So you could overeat carbs and sugar. This. There's also a theory out there, Mark. I don't know if I agree with this, but you know, there's, it's an interesting theory that the reason we have an obesity problem is primarily because processed food is so under protein. There's not enough protein that people are overeating it just to hit that protein requirement. They're eating all these processed foods to get their protein requirement. Uh, That's why so many people overeat. Like the signal from the brain is not meeting satiation. So because it's not getting high quality nutrition, like nutritional density Correct. in the food. Specifically mm. protein to get the required protein. Mm. So in the process, no, I wasn't making a pun on the processed foods, but in the process of moving to these whole foods, what is the value of, if I'm looking at weight loss and I'm looking at getting to my ideal weight, what is the benefit of ketones and in terms of fat? Because you said like, maybe you get the body in a state of producing ketones and and using fat. So how do I best optimize my because like if we're all, I think a lot of us are coming out of COVID with a, with a COVID-19, much like the freshman 15. <laughs> and I'm curious, how do we, how do we turn this uh, storage, which I think has come from immense amounts of cortisol and inflammation, which is, you know, due to fear and all the things that are very normal based on what we've been through, the collective trauma that we then soothed with food. And, you know, we got really no nutritional advice from our governments in the last three years. So yeah, how do we, what is the benefit of ketones and how do we use them for, for progress, I guess? If we think about Somebody who's overweight, like when I was obese, I never had a weight problem. Uh, those who gained the COVID-19 or somebody who's listening or watching who's 200 pounds overweight right now, you, you don't have a weight problem. There's no such thing as a weight problem. It's a weight symptom. Uh, and this mm, is a completely I different like paradigm shift from what dietitians and nutritionists and personal trainers teach because they teach you, they teach you 
let's help you lose weight to get healthy, right? The human body works the complete opposite way. You do not lose weight to get healthy. You get healthy to lose weight. This is why calorie counting doesn't work because you're chasing symptoms. That doesn't work. We want to get healthy. I'm talking about hormone health, metabolic health, cellular health. So how does keto play into this? First of all, I'm not uh, keto uh, dogmatic about keto. I look at it as one tool in the shed, but I don't think we should do keto forever. But I do see it as a very powerful tool, especially for those 88% plus people out there. When I lecture on stage, I show that study and then I rewrite the study and I say 88% of American adults have a keto deficiency because that's really what it is. <laughs> There's nothing new about keto. It's not a diet. It's a metabolic process. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't exist to this day if it wasn't for ketosis because our ancestors had to have the ability to burn body fat and produce ketones so they could survive and hunt and kill. It's a survival mechanism. It stresses your body and stresses your mitochondria. So you might think, all right, that Which sounds- Which is good, right? Yeah, exactly. You might think that sounds bad, but what happens when you go to the gym, Mark? You stress your body and it grows stronger. Same thing. You're stressing your mitochondria. So- that's why the mitochondria, my shirt says mighty mitochondria, has a mitochondria on it. It's so important because the <laughs> mitochondria produce energy. The mitochondria are responsible for um, doing, it's like a surveillance system for threats, but that's beyond the point. When you're in a state of ketosis, ketones actually signal to your mitochondria to make more of them. 400% more energy is produced when you're in ketosis versus you're not, you're burning sugar. So that's one benefit. When you produce more energy, it raises your metabolic rate and you burn more calories without having to think about tracking calories. Awesome. But at the same time, it lowers inflammation. So you have an amazing response where your body is increasing energy, increasing fat burning, and decreasing inflammation. That's incredible. So as you do that, your body is going to get rid of extra weight because it's using it for energy. It's going to downregulate bad genes, genes that might be uh, there for autoimmune or cancer or diabetes. So you have this amazing process. But here's the thing. Keto is a stress to the body, but it could be beneficial when you do in the right dosage. Exercise is a stress to your body, but you need to recover from it. So the goal is not to be in ketosis forever. The goal is to flex in and out of ketosis. And that's exactly what I teach with my um, book called Keto Flex. Right on. So when you do that, are you kind of going in and out of it? like coming out a couple times a week or or what do you sort of recommend? Yeah. So in the beginning, we're in ketosis for about three months. So we are strict, uh, especially if you're metabolically damaged. And then we start flexing in and out. And that'll be different. Like for, for me, me and you, we're, we're men, uh, we would probably flex out one or twice a, once or twice a week. Or you could do it on a daily basis. You could, you could be in ketosis until your last meal and then you have a higher carb meal, flex out, and then you're back in the, in the morning. But that's for somebody who's more metabolically flexible. For 88% of, of American adults, they need to be more strict, three months of ketosis, and then you could practice the flexing part. I remember reading, a, I think maybe it was just a case report or a few, and it was about some Olympians that bodies are so flexible from a ketogenic perspective that they could eat up to like 100 grams of carbohydrates and then go back. Yeah. Which I was like, that's amazing that the body can, once it gets into st such a healthy state, I remember talking to another friend about this, that the body, when it gets to another, uh, a really high nutritionally dense state, it doesn't even hold weight. It doesn't need it anymore. And I'm like, I got to get there. Yeah, How's that? How get there? <laughs> the body yeah, is yeah. so sophisticated. Oh my gosh. It's like, I always tell people, and I, and I got this from Les Brown. He said, you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. If you just think about how incredible the human body is built. It's just... It's a miracle. And you know, I love that you, you reframed it to a weight symptom because I think when we say weight problem, much like any problem, as I was saying earlier, we have shame in orienting towards it. I think a lot of the obesity epidemic or just weight gain that stays is usually due to trauma. It's usually due to emotional trauma, but it's also, you can't negate environment which I love the new book from Dr. Kabor Mate called The Myth of Normal. And he talks about like our experience as humans is not a symptom of us as being failures, but a failure of our culture. And I think that's very true to what we've been through, you know, and what we are going through. And, you know, the foods that we eat that socioeconomically you see this lack of access to healthy whole foods. Have you ever seen that TED talk where 
I think it's called the gangster gardener. No. And the guy uh, takes all those, you know, those like pieces of grass that are along the side of the sidewalk, like between the sidewalk and the curb. And he starts in the uh, parts of LA, he starts to convert those into gardens. And I believe he even gets like arrested or charged because he's doing these things even by the police, even though he's actually bringing whole nutritious foods and taking these dead zones that aren't even being maintained anyways. But I think it's something that simple that, I mean, the fact that that even seems radical is wild, hey? Yeah, it's it's you're so right. And, you know, think about just the way that we were built, uh, these symptoms that we develop are actually gifts. I, I always talk about that. People are always getting so angry and pissed off at their symptoms. Like, why do I have these symptoms? I hate these symptoms. But it's a wrong way, I believe, the wrong way of looking at it. Look at your symptoms and then your diagnosis as a freaking gift from your innate intelligence. It's the, the body's check engine light. Thank God for that check engine light because it gives you a signal that you need to pull the car over to the road, off the road, open up the hood and figure out what's going on. Same thing with your symptoms. And I could list a whole set of symptoms. I mentioned waking is a symptom, cancer is a symptom, diabetes is a symptom, anxiety and depression are symptoms, but it's your innate intelligence showing you something is out of homeostasis. Let's figure what that yes. is. Let's figure out what that is. But conventional wisdom will teach you this. Let's give you an example. Let's say somebody last night ate two entire pizzas, two cups of sauerkraut, 50 prunes, um, spaghetti and meatballs, and all this food. And they were just slobs last night. They just feasted on unhealthy food. So they wake up this morning and they have a whole bunch of symptoms. They have gas, bloating, indigestion, acid reflux. So they make an appointment with their doctor and they go to their doctor and they're explaining their symptoms to their doctor. I have this, I have that. And the doctor's listening. And the doctor says, no worries. Here is a prescription for an antacid, anti-flatulence, and five other medications. And the, the, the patient goes on and takes those medications and she feels better that, that day. But were those symptoms the problem or were they a gift? They were a gift. If the doctor would have just asked, what did you eat? Then she could have explained it and the doctor would have just said, oh, well, that's the reason why you had those symptoms. Just don't do that again instead of writing five medications. So that's the way we want to look at the body. It's very similar to what you teach in the mindset part. It's like these symptoms are amazing. Thank you, innate intelligence. Let's figure out why they're there instead of just resenting them or chasing them. Maybe we can then uh, explore what I remember discovering going to a doctor when I came back, my blood result had higher cholesterol. And then when I ran the ratios of like HDL to triglyceride and looked at those, I was completely healthy. But just on the numbers of hypercholesterolemia, and I don't remember whether they had differentiated between low density and high density and all that stuff. But I'm curious because the message, I'm a child from the 80s and 90s. In the 80s and 90s, fat was vilified, like completely. Fat is bad and fat causes high cholesterol. So we're going to remove fat from everything and everything's going to say fat free. I remember, and I think it still does, but licorice had a thing that said fat free. Well, licorice didn't have fat in it anyways, but because it was part of the marketing. Yeah, cholesterol free. So they just, right. And then they just put sugar in everything for flavor. And of course, sugar is not great. So why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Curious if you could talk to, because I think a lot of us still, I still have that programming that I have to consciously be like, this ribeye is good for me, you know? And, and, and so I'm curious how, if you could speak to how fat actually affects the body versus sugar. 
and the effects on cholesterol and inflammatory markers? Great question, Mark. Yeah, and, and that's one of the most popular questions I get on my like YouTube channel as comments like, my cholesterol went up or my doctor wants to put me on a statin. There's so many moving parts to cholesterol. I, I would say this first and foremost, total cholesterol on your lab report is almost meaningless. It doesn't really show the full picture. As a matter of fact, more people die from heart disease with low cholesterol normal to low cholesterol than with high cholesterol. It's more dangerous to have low cholesterol than to have, I know, than to have high cholesterol. It's Chole so against the narrative of pharma. So against Sorry. it, right? Statins is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Of course, they don't want to get that out there. But if you think about cholesterol, what is cholesterol even needed for uh, to build your sex hormones? When I mentioned that membrane that's so important, it's the intelligence of your cells, <laughs> part of it's made up of cholesterol. If cholesterol is so bad, why are we made up? of cholesterol. The body <laughs> right. loves cholesterol and God didn't make any mistakes with us. So it's a lot of moving parts. So yeah, like you said, like what Mark did, you look at your HDL, which is your high density lipoprotein. It's very protective. You look at your LDL, but also not just total LDL because people just say, oh, LDL is bad cholesterol. But no, you look at the particle sizes of your LDL because there's two different particle sizes. So you look at the small particles and the large particles. If you have too much small particles, that's bad. But if you have a lot of large and not a lot of small, that's good. So the particle sizes, and then you look at triglycerides, and then you do what you did. You get your HDL to triglyceride ratio. You look at those markers, and then you look at your inflammatory markers, and that gets you a full picture. And it's not fat that's going to cause an issue with these numbers. It's maybe the seed oils, the bad fats that we mentioned, but it's primarily sugar. If you think about cholesterol, and here's the reason why it's still vilified to this day, not as much as the 80s and 90s. I'm also an 80s and 90s kid. But even to this day, we're dealing with that problem. And that's because in the 1950s, a gentleman named Ansel Keys, he botched, he faked some research to show that cholesterol was the cause of heart disease. And the reason they, he came to that conclusion was because when they did autopsies on people who had heart attacks, they saw an excess buildup of cholesterol and they made a decision that the cholesterol caused the heart attacks, but that's not true. The cholesterol was actually there to repair the damage that was happening for other reasons. So the analogy is this, if there was a, a house that kept getting on fire in my neighborhood and every time I drove by that house was on, that's on fire and I, every time I drive by, I see that there's firefighters at the scene of the crime, I blame the firefighters for the fire that would not make sense. It's the same thing, cholesterol. The it's a band-aid to repair the damage. Inflammation is the root cause of heart disease. So the question is, what is causing the inflammation? And that is the seed oils, the sugar, eating excessively, not getting enough sleep, not working on the mindset. So that's the direction we want to focus on. It's not the fat that's causing it. So if we have abnormal lab results in terms of things like insulin, and I I should qualify that. If this is not replacing medical advice, so please go see a doctor. And okay, so if we have abnormal lab results in terms of higher cholesterol, uh, A1C off, like our insulin, is a good at least movement towards rectifying that or, or getting the ratios in the right way? Is it to move to ketosis first? Like you were saying, if people who are metabolically, what is it, damaged? Is that the right word? Metabolically challenged, I would say. Yeah. So in order for them to restore and repair and, and get their ba body back to metabolic flexibility, is the fastest way to do that or one of the most efficient, just so the body can rest, is it to, to go into a ketogenic yes, space? It is. Because if you think about when you are in ketosis, you're dramatically lowering insulin, lowering glucose, and that's exactly what they need. Because the three macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fat, Carbs will spike glucose and insulin more than any other macronutrient. Of course, depends on the carbs versus processed versus whole food carbs, but still, it'll spike glucose and insulin more. Protein is second, but it's barely a big spike. And then fat doesn't even touch the dial on glucose and insulin. So therefore, when you, wow. when you increase healthy fat and protein and lower carbs, aka ketosis, you are reducing the damage of constantly high levels of insulin and glucose that has caused the metabolic challenges. Hmm. And I know in when I used to work in oncology, they recommended for some patients, depending on the variables, to go on a ketogenic diet because it reduced angiogenesis, like the proliferation of like growing more vasculature in a tumor. So it, they recommend going on a ketogenic diet. So I'm, then if 
we're going to go on that and we're going to go into this state of ketosis, then you said do it for three months and then start to go into flexibility. So buy your book and the keto flex. And what about the use of things like, I know that company levels that has the monitors that you put on your arm. Do you, cause I know like for checking that you're in ketosis, they have those little P strips, right? And then I think you do, you can also do the thing. Does it poke your finger? Yep. And then you can do levels. So can you walk us through maybe what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Levels is fantastic. I also like NutriSense. They both do a good job. They're they're called Continuous Glucose Monitors. And I, I love that. It's one of the best, if you want to call it biohacking tools that you can use. A CGM would be amazing. Um, and there was a lot of barriers for years on getting a CGM. You would have to be diabetic and then your doctor would write, write the prescription, which is insane, Mark, because they wait for you to get a diagnosis to be able to give you something to monitor your diagnosis versus being preventative. Ah, Right. Wouldn't that be great if we could just prevent that diagnosis? So what Levels has done and NutriSense and some other companies is they remove the barrier. So they write the prescription for you. They have a dietitian that works with you, at least NutriSense does. And a CGM, like you said, it goes on your arm and it gives you 24-7 snapshot of your glucose. It does not give you ketones. The company that makes a continuous ketone monitor, they're going to crush, but there's not that yet. But it gives you glucose and I love that. For ketones, if you're going to test that, there's three ways to test. You mentioned a couple of them. There's urine strips, uh, which is measuring one of the ketone bodies called acetoacetate. There's blood finger prick looking at beta-hydroxybutyrate. And then there's uh, breath meters looking at acetone. Those are the three ketone bodies. I don't like the urine strips because they are not accurate. So I wouldn't recommend those, although they're affordable. I'm sorry, but they're not accurate. Breath meters kind of hit and hit or miss, but there is a good one on the market called Biosense. I like them, but I'm going to focus on the finger prick, which is um, looking at BHB, beta hydroxybutyrate. That's probably the best way to check ketones, and the one that I use is from Keto Mojo. So you could get a CGM and a Keto Mojo, and then you'll get both readings, and that would be the best way to to see. And if you're 0.5 or higher on your Keto Mojo, you're in ketosis, and that would be the goal. And for something like a blood uh, continuous glucose monitor, like levels you're looking to see what the impact on your glucose after exercise, after eating, after everything? Yeah, everything. It's so cool because in stress, mental stress, uh, relationship stress. Ooh, I'd love to see Oh that. my gosh, right? Or a podcast. I, 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 I've worn mine. I've worn one for like seven, eight months already. And I would test before a podcast interview like this. And let's say it's like 86, which is good. And then I would go into this podcast, get so excited, and it would be like 97, 98. And it's like interesting to see what like excitement does. And then I would exercise and do it. Um, so it's just interesting. But yeah, you would it would give you all of those readings. It'll also tell you, give you clues if you have a, a sensitivity to a specific food that might be healthy for Ben, but not healthy for Mark. And you see a big glucose spike from, I don't know, broccoli or Brussels sprouts or blueberries, something that you might not think but you might have some sort of sensitivity to it. So there's so many benefits to a CGM. I love it. I use it a lot with my students. This is an information download. I love it. And is there anything else that you think we need to know or or move towards in order to continue in this, uh, I think, this desire to want to get healthy? Because, of course, we find this information and we generally find my podcast from a relational space. But you know, I, I always think like it's relationship to everything, you know, romantic relationships are a magnifying glass, but at the end of the day, even what you said about checking stressors, I know that in the Gottman's research who are relationship researchers, they put physiological measurements on people just sitting beside their spouses. And if they're in high conflict relationships, their inflammatory markers go up even without fighting. So, you know, you got to think about what that does to our bodies, you know, over 25 years. So I think the same thing is true with what you're saying about food and and just really figuring out this miracle that we have, that we each have this like miracle meat bag that we can get into optimal performance and we don't have to wait till we have to. Uh, although the symptoms, as you said, are are a beautiful gift. So is there anything else that you'd share? Yeah, yeah, exactly what you said. We don't have to wait till we have to. I would say if you treat your health casually, you end up a casualty we don't want that Ooh, for you. We don't want you to be good. a statistic. So what you teach, Mark, is so important. The inner work, it's 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 everything. I really believe it's like 95% of the puzzle is the mindset, what you teach, Mark. And then 5% is the strategy. And that strategy needs to be really good. We spoke about some of the strategy today, but that mindset stuff. And just to make the point here, 
I, I find this so fascinating. I'm going to lecture more on this, the placebo effect, because yeah, tell us more. You know, whether you think you could do something or not, you're right, right? We we've heard that quote, but I'm going to dial it down to some really incredible stories. First of all, the placebo effect started in World War II, where the Germans were bombing the U.S. soldiers. I think it was the U.S. soldiers, but what happened was that um, one of the doctors was treating all of these soldiers that were getting bombed and they were coming in with all these wounds. They were in so much pain and they ran out of morphine. And one of the nurses saw that they were out of morphine and what she did, because he was freaking out, he, I need more morphine. So she started to get saline solution and put it in all these needles. And she told the doctor that here's some more morphine. So he believed it. And he told the, the patient, the soldier, I'm going to give you this morphine. You're going to feel better in just a matter of seconds. Like He was confident about it because he believed that it was morphine. And they felt better from the saline solution. And that's where the placebo effect started. And then they started studying it. And now every study compares a drug or something to a placebo effect. But that's how it got started. But here's how powerful it is. And I could share story after story. I'm going to share one. Dr. Norman Cousins, he's passed on. He's brilliant. He shared a story about a football game in Los, in Los Angeles. There was a football game in Arena, a stadium. Two people started projectile vomiting coming back from the soda machine. There was two vending machines. They went to one of them, these two people, and they started projectile vomiting. And the doctor, a doctor was rushed there and he, he saw them projectile vomiting. They were asking, the doctor was asking these two people, what did you just do? Like, where did you go? And they said, we went to the vending machine. So the doctor thought maybe there's something wrong with like the, the vending machine. Maybe copper got into the soda and it's causing this. So he went on the uh, loudspeaker, the doctor, and he announced that Please do not go to the vending machine. We have two people who are projectile vomiting. We suspect that it might be that. And you know what happened seconds later? The entire stadium started projectile vomiting and dozens of ambulances were rushed to the, to the venue, taking people to the hospital. And then several hours later, they determined that it was not the vending machine. It was something else. They made the announcement and almost simultaneously when they gave that announcement to the people in the hospital, they stopped vomiting. It's so funny. Isn't Human that mind. nuts the, what the mind it's could so do? It's so crazy. Dude, I say that is because whether you think you could heal your, your body or think you cannot heal your body, you're right. Please use your powerful mind to serve your future, to serve your relationships, to serve your body. You are so much more powerful than you think. And the work that you teach, Mark, is so important. So that's the last thing I would share with your audience. Is there any other tips that you have in terms of mindset, like in terms of getting ourselves, I mean, you've already shared so much, but like in terms of really getting ourselves set up for success, like if we are constantly inundated with like you have a weight problem or your health is, you know, this is your diagnosis, you know, is there, what are some practices that we can do to really change our, the way we think? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that. There's a, there's a supplement that helps with mindset. It's anti-inflammatory. Dr. Joe Dispenza, he did brain scans on individuals going through his course and he put a MRI brain scan on them and he looked at their body and brain and he saw when they were they took this vitamin it's called vitamin G that there were 1200 chemical reactions that took place instantaneously. He saw oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, GABA, downregulation and inflammation immediately with vitamin G. And what vitamin G is, is gr gratitude, the practice of gratitude. Mm. Um, I really believe in gratitude and what you appreciate appreciates and what you don't appreciate depreciates. And it's not woo-woo. Uh, the more you focus your attention and energy on something, the more it grows. This is a universal law, what you feed energy to expands. And there's a part of your brain called the reticular activa activating system. You know about this, Mark. It's the size of your pinky. It's the selective seeking part of your brain. If we didn't have this, we would, we would short circuit the brain because there's so much stimulation. So this filters out things that are not important in order for us to see things that are important, things that we've fed the RAS. So if you buy a red car, you see that same red car everywhere. Are those red cars new? Did everybody just buy the red car or were they always there, but now you've activated the RAS to see it? It's the latter, right? So when you uh, practice gratitude, you get more things to be grateful for, more anti-inflammatory benefits, oxytocin, serotonin. But when you do the opposite and you feed that RAS all the things you hate, what you resent, why you can't heal, why you're so stupid, why you're so ugly, whatever stinking thinking thought, you get more of that. You see more obstacles. So gratitude, a daily practice of gratitude, but not just using it as a checklist. I've done that myself, done with gratitude, but actually sitting there and feeling it, experiencing it, and living in that gratitude. That would be my recommendation. 
Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And everybody, you have the power to heal yourself, your mind, your relationships. And Ben, where can people find more of all the beautiful things that you've shared and support if they want to move through what we've been talking about? Thank you, Mark. It's been an honor being on your show. I just love your work and you were on my show and it was just a great conversation. So I have my Keto Camp podcast, uh, Campus Bell with the K, if you want to subscribe to that. My website has everything. If you just go to benazadi.com, it has my books, my social, my courses. So that would be probably the best place for your audience. Awesome. And thank you for listening. And if you love this episode, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any coming up because we got all the good guests coming to help you resolve your relationship stuff, your emotional stuff, your food stuff, all the things. Uh, Much love, Ben. Thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate you. Much love, brother. Thank you. 